the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Thessalonians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He was concerned that the trials that they were experiencing... Because again, they were being persecuted to some degree. There was opposition against them. He wanted to make sure they're still doing strong. The trials against them and the trials that he himself has faced, he did not want his own trials, or their own for that matter, to shipwreck their faith. He's like, I hope, I hope that you're still staying true to the Lord and that you're not looking at these trials and these difficulties in a way that would discourage you from continuing to follow Christ. Probably one of the most common dilemmas people have with God is the issue of trials and pain. It's not an easy one to grapple with, especially if you've heard that Jesus makes all your problems disappear. Pastor Gary will show us from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that trials should not discourage us, but rather we would be firm in our faith in spite of the trials. When we face trials and tribulations, God is faithful. When we are weak, He is strong. If you're right in the middle of it, hold on to Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This is Psalm 6610. For you, O God, tested us, you refined us like silver. The process of refining precious metal is to heat it up in a cauldron. And then the intensity of the heat causes the impurities to come to the surface so that it could be skimmed off. It's called the dross. And it's only the result of intense heat that refines the precious metal. Because only then through the intensity of the heat is the dross removed. So sometimes it's a matter of refining us because God wants to just purify our lives. And he wants to kind of skim off some stuff. And so it's that refining process. Thirdly, it's to mature us. In James 1 verses 2 to 4, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops or produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So sometimes tests come just simply to make us stronger and to mature us in our faith. I remember years ago, Terry and I were down visiting in Savannah, Georgia, and they have those beautiful Savannah live oak trees that... um, have that Spanish hanging moss from the branches. We've all seen these trees. And I noticed how twisted the trees were 
and how they always were leaning in a certain direction. So I asked a guy who was there, like, you know, what's the deal with these, with these trees and the whole Spanish hanging moss? They're beautiful. And, but I've noticed that they're all, they're all twisted and they're leaning in a certain direction. He said, oh, yes, sir. He said, they're leaning towards the Atlantic. I said, why, why are they leaning towards the Atlantic? He says, because the strong winds that come off the ocean buffet against the trees, and the trees have learned to lean against the wind, and they become strengthened because of that. Some, some of the ancient American uh, sailing vessels were built, the hulls were built out of the live oaks of, of Savannah, Georgia, because of the strong sturdiness that they had developed because they were always resisting the wind that would come off of the Atlantic. That's the way it is for us. You're going to lean into what buffets you, but it'll make you stronger for it. And the Lord will sometimes use those tests to motivate us into maturity. Well, Paul continues here. Look look in verse 7. He says, as apostles of Christ... We could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother. Circle, circle mother. King James Bible says like a nurse. It's literally like a nursing mother. We were gentle among you like a, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. He's talking about they're not wanting to be a financial burden, so they worked. And he didn't just rely on, on their offerings because he didn't want them to, this young little church getting started. He didn't want to be a burden to them. And then in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father, sir that word, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So interestingly here, Paul, Paul writes here and he talks very affectionately, very warmly to them. And he says to them that his ministry there at the church of, of Thessalonica was, and he compares to two things. It was like caring like a mom and motivating like a dad. He says, you know, we were gentle among you, and he, and he speaks very affectionately about how, like a mother is gentle. He says, I was gentle among you, caring, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much. He just, you know, he just speaks here very affectionately, like a nurturing, caring mom. And, and again, specifically, King James says, like a nurse, because it means like a nursing mother. And so, you know, the scene of a nursing mother, one of the most tender, just gentle expressions of love and affection and care. And he says, this is how I was to you, like, like a mother uh, in, in that regard. And, um, you know, just such a beautiful just such a beautiful thing about how just nurturing and caring a mother is. You know, uh, Terry nursed all three of our kids, and it was wonderful in many regards. A, it was cheap. <laughs> you know, bottles and formula is expensive. And B, because in the middle of the night when they were crying, I'd be like, they want you. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> they need you. Um, so now we had this thing where I'd go, I'd go get the babies and then, you know, so it was kind of a partner, but then I, then I was done. So <laughs> I'll go get them, but then I'm done. Um, but it's a, it's this very gentle, you know, idea here of just a nursing mom loving her child. And 
This is the way Paul says, I, I was in one regard to you. And then he says he was also like a father. And he talks here about how I dealt with you like a father deals with his own children. And he uses these three words in verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging. So I just kind of summarized it with the word motivating like a dad. And sometimes a dad motivates with encouragement, sometimes with comfort also. And sometimes urging, you know, exhorting challenging uh, his children. And the combination of both is very beautiful here because here on the one hand, you have like a mother dealing with her children in a very caring, nurturing way. You have a dad who deals with his children in a, a, a motivating way, in a challenging way. And it's not to say that, that dads don't also you know, nurture and care. And it's not to say that moms don't also motivate and urge, but it's the idea here that in, in a partnership, how they complement each other. And Paul, in using this language about how like moms and dads treat and love and care for and encourage and motivate their kids, this is the beautiful aspect of ministry too. There are sometimes, there are sometimes when you'll come to church, for example, and you just need kind of that comforting message. You just need like somebody just speak to me out of God's word, a message of nurture and care. I've had one of those hard days. I've had a hard week. I've had a hard life. And I just need somebody to just love on me like a mom loves her kids and nurtures her, her children. And sometimes God's word speaks to us that way, doesn't it? There's some parts of God's word very loving, very comforting, very, very caring towards us. And then there are other times you come to church and, you know, you, and you, you're going to have a Bible study and you're going to read some verses that have to do with being motivated and challenged and urged sometimes to do life in a way that you wouldn't normally want to do because you're too comfortable where you are. And sometimes you can read the Bible and the Bible kind of kicks you in the pants from time to time and challenges you. And we need both. You know, I'm thankful when I take my Bible and I have some quiet time with the Lord that there are times he speaks to me very tenderly, like a mom who, who cares for her children. And there are other times he speaks to me like a dad, just kind of, you know, kicking me in the pants a little bit and challenging me and motivating me to right living. And it's a combination of both. We need both of those things. And so Paul says, I gave you both of those things, like a mom caring and nurturing, like a dad motivating and urging you. To live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you know, for you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So he speaks to the church here and he says, basically, look, you know, you guys have endured some oppression yourselves, which apparently happened even after Paul was driven out of town by these Judaizers who didn't like the message of Jesus. Paul knows what it is to suffer. And he says to them, and you know what it is too, because at some point they also, for their faith, endured suffering and hardship and opposition from people who didn't like Christ in them either. And he encourages them in this regard. But I want you to notice with me how he holds in such high regard the word of God. Because he says, I gave you scripture. I gave you the gospel. He says, you accepted it in verse 13. You accepted it not as the word of men, 
He says, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So just wanted to pause there and just kind of reiterate the fact that the word of God is a reference to the Bible. Now, now Paul doesn't have the completed passage of the New Testament. He's, he's part of God's vessel in compiling the New Testament. But at this point, he's, he's only solely talking of the Old Testament scriptures. But that's what he used to preach the good news of Christ, because all through the Bible, you see Christ revealed. Graham Scroge said, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds. It's the idea that Jesus is represented from Genesis to Revelation. You have to bear in mind, we have the advantage of the New Testament. So we have the whole good news of Jesus and the message of the cross that we can preach. Paul was preaching the message of the cross and the truth of Jesus with the Old Testament scriptures. And even so, he was saying, this is the word of God to you. This is not just stuff made up by men. This is the word of God, which is God's revelation expressed through men who were vessels of his thoughts and intentions. It is God's word. It is the word of God. It is the uncompromised, authoritative revelation of God expressed through the pens of men, but nevertheless that communicate his will and his intention. And this is what the Bible teaches. So I put up for you the references, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 21. And these verses say this, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the Greek word theonoustos, that literally he imparted through human vessels His divine purpose, divine will, and divine expression that it would be captured for us and preserved for us as his breathed word. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we speak about how the Bible is the inspired word of God, that's what inspiration is. Inspiration means that God so directed the human writers of scripture that using their personalities and their literary styles, his complete revelation for mankind was revealed. And Paul commends the church here. He says, you you received this and you accepted it as the word of God, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So verse 17, but brothers, when we were torn away from you, for a short time, torn away, that it's a Greek word, uh, aporphanizo, it has as the a root word, orphan, because it means to be without children. So he says, that's how much we were torn away. We were, you were like orphaned from us. We were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Again, that reference of how we had to be hustled out of town. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Notice that, Satan stopped us. And that's really a reference to the opposition that he was facing. When people came against him, he saw that as a tool that Satan was using to oppose him. Satan stopped us. For what is, verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory, future tense, in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, please note with me there in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? 
underline that, we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? So he says, we're going to glory in God's presence. And what is our glory? And he says, it's you. Most Bible commentaries, when you read this passage, will explain it this way, that what Paul is talking about is when they get in the presence of the Lord one day, Paul's saying like, you know, I wanted to come see you again. I had to be hustled out of town. My life was in jeopardy. I hope to see you again. But if I don't ever see you again on earth, I'll see you again in heaven. And we will glory together in the presence of the Lord. And this is a reference to the fact that once again, when you know Christ as your Savior and you die and you go to heaven and your loved ones know Christ as their Savior and they die and go to heaven, there will be this glorious reunion in the presence of the Lord. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't write this. Paul, Paul wouldn't say, you know, when we get to heaven, I hope I know you. He says, when we get in the presence of the Lord, he says, the, the real glory of my ministry, the real wonder and joy of my ministry will be seeing you there. And so he anticipates seeing them there and how they will recognize each other in the presence of the Lord. Chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, a circle of word unsettled, we'll come back to it. By these trials, he says, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, who's that? Satan might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Okay, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about how okay, he had to leave in the middle of the night. He went to Berea after Berea went to Athens. He says, but I sent Timothy back to you because he said, I wanted to get a good report. I wanted to find out how you were doing. And here's what he was concerned about. He was concerned that the trials that they were experiencing, because again, they were being persecuted to some degree. There was opposition against them. He wanted to make sure they're still doing strong. The trials against them and the trials that he himself has faced, he did not want his own trials or their own for that matter to shipwreck their faith. He's like, I hope, I hope that you're still staying true to the Lord and that you're not looking at these trials and these difficulties in a way that would discourage you from continuing to follow Christ. And he talks about here, he says, we sent Timothy, our, our brother, our fellow worker, in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled. King James says no one would be moved by these trials. And it's the Greek word saino, S-A-I-N-O. It's the only time in all of the New Testament this particular word is used, saino, S-A-I-N-O. And it's a word that means to wag like a dog's tail. It's a very interesting usage of the word. That the only time this word is used in all the New Testament, this is what Paul's saying. Picture like how a, a dog wags its tail. He's like, I don't, I don't want your faith to be like this. I don't want your faith to be unsettled. I don't want your faith to be wagging. I don't want your faith to be, you know, here it's strong, now it's weak. Now it's strong, now it's weak. I don't want you to be unsettled like this, like a, a dog's tail wagging. So I want you to be strong in the Lord, and I don't want the trials that I've been going through to discourage you in your faith, and I don't want your trials that you're going through to discourage you in your faith. You know, Jesus says that trials must come. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Trials and difficulties will be a part of life. Don't give up on God. He'll never give up on you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter would say it this way. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One day, one day, he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In other words, if you're suffering for criminal reasons, well, then you need to suffer. He says, but I want you to know as a Christian, when you experience suffering, continue to hold on to Jesus because what a privilege that we bear his name. He says, don't let the sufferings of this world and don't let the trials that we go through shipwreck your faith. He says, I I was afraid that in some way Satan, the tempter, might have come and deceived you and tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. He says in verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. In verse 8, he says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul's very encouraged. He's like, Timothy brings back good news. So I was a little worried that all the trials I've been going through, the trials you've been going through, would shipwreck your faith. The tempter Satan would come along and discourage you, and you wouldn't be following Jesus. But Timothy's come back, and he's told us about your love and your faith, and I'm so encouraged in that. I'm so grateful to God for you. He says, I've been praying earnestly for you again and again, and I hope I get to see you again. And he says here in verse 11, down to the end of the chapter, this is a little prayer here in verse 11. He says, now may our God and Father himself... And our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love, that's, that is agape in the passage, make, make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Holy ones is hagios in the Greek. It's not talking about angels. He's talking about the saints. When the saints return with Jesus, those who have gone on to be with the Lord, those who have already died and gone to heaven, Jesus, when he comes again, the saints come back with him to rule and reign for a thousand years. So he's very encouraged about this. But I just wanted to focus here in the last just couple of minutes we have on the prayer he prays, verses 12 and 13. Well, the first part of prayer in verse 11, where he talks about, I pray that I'll be able to come see you again. But then he prays for the church. And I thought that these would be two good things for us to pray for ourselves as well. Because he asks and he says, may the Lord, number one, increase. May the Lord increase our love for one another. That's in verse 12. And he says, and then may the Lord strengthen our hearts to remain holy until Jesus comes. And that prayer was good enough for the church of Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago. And it's a good prayer for us, too. 
we always have room to increase our love for one another. And may God strengthen our hearts that we would live lives of holiness until Jesus comes. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own. And then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.